hard. We've had some. We've had. We kind of re-adapted uh, a little bit. We're trying to bring a little bit of a change into our Wednesday night service in the main sanctuary here, and we're going to have a little bit greater info. Uh, or um, we're going to have we're going to have a, a greater opportunity for prayer on Wednesday night. Not that there won't be preaching, teaching, exhortation. There will be. But one of the things that we'd like to do is if you have a prayer request of something that on any time, Sunday morning, you come through here this week and say, man, this is heavy on my heart. I just want somebody to pray for it. If you fill out a card, though, you can put it in a basket. Here, we'll create a specific place. We don't have it just yet. And on Wednesday night, the people that come in and worship with us, we're going to pass these cards out. And we're going to let a worshiper at a specific time in the sanctuary on that night hold your situation up. It may be God help JoJo and his basketball team. Yeah, it might, whatever it is. It might be whatever that request is like that. And that somebody, how many know that can be a powerful thing? That we're, we're holding one another's prayer needs up before God. And, and then a pastor is going to give a, an exhortation and a teaching a prophetic word, whatever God does. And then we're going to create greater altar opportunities on Wednesday nights. Uh, kind of an extension of, you know, some things that typically used to be done in Pentecostalism on, on Sunday nights, but an extension of this on Wednesday nights. And so we, we believe it's gonna, we're going to shift a little bit from being quite as doctrinal on, on Wednesday nights and have a little bit more of a fluid opportunity for prayer and, uh, and also the gifts of the Holy Spirit and uh, prophetic words. Those are things we're in pursuit of in 2020. I mean, really, that's a good thing. Amen. Amen. And I appreciate you being in service with us today. Would you take your scriptures with me? And let's turn to a familiar passage. It's found in 1 Kings chapter number 18. I want to ask you to pray, with, to pray for me. And the reason why I say that is I've already confessed to you that I'm an in-the-zone person. Anytime I have to really kind of get into that administrative thing, it's, it's very, it can, I don't want to use the word distracting because our security is not distracting. Your security is not distracting in any capacity. But at the same time, as a speaker, I have something in front of me to share, and I have to transition. I have to transition from the, from the general welfare of our church to the very specific preaching of the Word of God. So I want to ask you today, in your prayer here in a moment, pray for me. Uh, not just pray that your heart would be broken up, which is exactly true today, but also pray for the sower today. Pray for the sower to be uh, at liberty to share what God's put on his heart today. And so if you found 1 Kings 18, we're going to read verses 17 through 24. It's all just eight verses of Scripture, and if you would stand up with me today in the honor of the reading of the Word of God here. Let's read this. And it came to pass, when Ahab saw Elijah, that Ahab said unto him, Art thou he that troubleth Israel? And he answered, I have not troubled Israel, but thou and thy father's house. In that you have forsaken the commandments of the Lord, and thou hast followed Balaam. Now therefore send and gather to me all Israel unto Mount Carmel, and the prophets of Baal four hundred and fifty, and the prophets of the groves four hundred, which eat at Jezebel's table. When we journeyed to Israel several years ago, we actually were able to visit Mount Carmel where there is a place of worship and dedication to the prophet Elijah 
still on the mountain. That's how significant this event was to the people of ancient Israel. So Ahab sent unto all the children of Israel and gathered the prophets together unto Mount Carmel. And Elijah came unto all the people and said, look at these words, it's familiar. How long halt ye between two opinions? Now, the New King James would read slightly different. How long will you falter? How long will you be stuck between these two positions, these two opinions? If, here, what, what were the two choices? If the Lord be God, then follow him. This is a simple man, isn't it? It's a simple message. But if Baal, then follow him. That's his sermon. That's Elijah's sermon to the gathered people that day. And the people, it sounds like our church sometimes, and the people answered him, not a word. <laughs> then said Elijah unto the people, I, even I only, remain a prophet of the Lord. But Baal's prophets are 450 men. Let them therefore give us two bullocks and let them choose one bullock for themselves and cut it in pieces and lay it on wood and put no fire under. And I will dress the other bullock and lay it on wood and put no fire under. And call ye on the name of your gods. He's challenging the prophets of Baal. And I will call on the name of the Lord, Yahweh, right? To the Hebrew culture. And the God that answereth by fire let him be God. And all the people answered and said, it is well spoken. So let's pray today and let's ask the Lord to help me as the preacher, you as the listener, to receive a familiar truth for unfamiliar times. Familiar truth for unfamiliar times. Father, I love you. And God, all I can do today is to confess my weakness in front of the church family, my limitations. God, and believe that in Despite these limitations, the scripture promises that we have treasure in an earthen vessel. God, that you already know my limitations and you have the ability to supersede. You have the ability to go above and beyond all that I can ask or think. And I prayed it privately. I pray it publicly. Let me be as the oracles of God today. Let preaching be easy in this house. Put a strength in my spirit to share the things that I sincerely believe should be shared in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen and Amen. Throughout this message today, on two or three other instances, you're going to hear a phrase or multiple phrases in this context, prophetic application, prophetic significance. Prophetic unction. What do I mean by that is I believe in the historical record of Scripture. I believe in Scripture. I'm one of those uh, folks that believe in the orthodox Christian belief that the Scriptures are true in every area. And that God spoke through the Word of God and He still speaks through the Word of God. And they have prophetic significance. What I mean by that is, here in a moment, I'm going to take you into a snapshot of human history through the people of Israel. And I'm not saying that the events that happened at that time will be exactly or are being exactly replicated in our time. Because they're not. But I am saying that that is of prophetic significance. That what was happening at that time 
there are some similarities to help us to be able to navigate our way through for what would ordinarily be unfamiliar times. And so in this particular passage here, I want to build up to what took place that led to this moment. So uh, please allow me to do so. There's a little bit of, 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 of biblical history that has to be unfolded here. And I'm that person. I know I'm kind of odd in this, but I just love looking at the historical narrative. I just think the broader that you, uh, you draw back on the picture and you look at the historical narrative, that then the spiritual principle can come out in the proper context. Let me go a little farther. The historical narrative of what we read in that passage of Scripture with Elijah, with Ahab, with the prophets of, of uh, Baal did not originate at that particular moment, but it was actually a transition point in the history of the nation. The most famous of all the kings of Israel was David. We know that. David was the, even Jesus himself was known as the son of David. He, we believe he being the Messiah, being the crown king, but he came of the lineage of David. And when we, when we study the, the historical record, we find that David's offspring, Solomon, was chosen to sit upon the throne, the wisest of all, given a supernatural gift of wisdom. And through that wisdom, the scripture tells us that God tremendously blessed him and the nation. But unfortunately, you know the story, if you've ever read 1 Kings, that Solomon allowed the lust of his flesh in the marrying of a plurality of wives, which was familiar to that culture, but he went beyond, up to 700-plus wives, many of them arranged for political reasons. And the Scripture tells us in, I believe, 1 Kings 11, that towards the end of Solomon's life, he allowed the influence of those wives to begin to influence him towards idolatry. And thus, we start seeing some movement in that favor that was uh, upon the nation as a result of David being a man after God's own heart. And so upon De Solomon's death, his son Rehoboam takes the throne. And when Rehoboam takes the throne, he makes some poor decisions right out of the bat. One of the poorest decisions that he made was that he rejected the counsel of the older men and he uh, chose to uh, walk in the counsel of uh, his peers. And he didn't, he didn't consider both. And he didn't heed the men that had that divine wisdom. And he, so, the, so the, the, the kingdom began to be an uproar. And so during that time, a fugitive returned from the land of Egypt and led a rebellion. And ultimately, the nation of what we would call Israel was split in two. It was split, and the ten northern tribes, and many of you know this, but it's still good for you to hear it. The ten northern tribes would follow the, the, the rogue. His name was Jeroboam. And the two southern tribes, which also possessed the city of Jerusalem, stayed, uh, you know, in their, um, uh, a, a part of the kingdom of Judah. So you suddenly had one nation become two almost overnight. And so you had the temple in Jerusalem... And even though Rehoboam had fallen prey to idolatry, there was still a light because of the temple. The pastor preached to you for the last several weeks. That was always the expectation of God upon the Jewish people. To be a light. To be a light of the revelation of the one true God and not this plurality of gods. And so even though Rehoboam was facilitating for idol worship, 
but they still had the light. They had the temple, and they had the priest, and they had the, the Torah and the scriptures. So there's, anytime you read the book of 1 Kings or 2 Kings or 1 Chronicles and 2 Chronicles, you can see that there are oftentimes there was still a little bit of true religion in the southern kingdom, but very seldom was this true religion in the northern kingdom because Jeroboam observed the situation. And Jeroboam realized that it, because of the people's um, uh, you know, affection for the temple, if he allowed the people to go south and worship to satisfy their desire to, to sacrifice before God, they would hear the Torah, they would be convicted in their own lives, and as a result, they would, return, they would turn from Jeroboam back to Rehoboam. So a, 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 he conspired, he invited other people to talk with, and then he reached into the depths of his own heart, and here's what he chose to do. He chose to erect two altars at two specific places. One was at Dan, and the other one was at Bethel. Now, Bethel's of prophetic significance. We know that. That's where Jacob pillowed his head on a stone when he made his journey to, the, you know, to search for his wife. And it was there. Bethel means the house of God. And so it was there that they had worshipped, and there, an altar was erected there. Well, he takes that altar, and he erects an altar to a, 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 a false deity, and he erects two golden calves. Now, golden calves have, again, historical significance to the Exodus. Everybody's familiar how that when Moses is up in the presence of God and Aaron doesn't know what to do, the people are uh, they're struggling with worshiping this invisible God. They want a tangible God. They want something made of wood, stone, gold, silver, rubies. They want something that they could say, here be thy gods. And so y'all know that story, how that Aaron took golden earrings out of their ears and threw them in the fire, and then he claims out of that came forth a golden calf. Well, so Jeroboam is, is, is connecting his idolatry to what took place at the Exodus to hopefully put some type of unique spin on it, a historical spin. And so Jeroboam then erects these two places of worship. He builds a house, a place of worship. He ordains a priesthood. He ordains men to worship and to lead the people in worship of the false deity who the Bible says are the basis of people, the lowest of the people. They're not of the lineage of Levi. They're not following in, the, 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 in accordance with the scriptural mandate. They're just whoever uh, could be, would be. And so a false and a perverted form of worship takes place on Jeroboam's watch. Now, I, you say, Pastor, what does that have to do? Well, y'all stay with me. It has a lot to do with what was taking place at this particular time. Now, eventually, what was happening in the northern region is because there was, uh, they were cut off from the southern area and access to, the, to, the, to worship, there were a few pockets. How many know God always has a remnant? God always have, even in the darkest of times, there'll always be a light. There'll be somebody. God will raise up somebody. So even though they were cut off from the temple, the one thing that was happening was there were little bands of prophetic involvement, little groups. That's where we find the historical record of the school of the prophets. So somebody would have an anointing on their life. They would begin to influence a small particular group of people, and they would gather together. And so they were, they were keeping the true faith of Yahweh, worshiping Yahweh alive without being able to go to the southern kingdom. And during this time period, the prophetic voice came to certain of the prophets who condemned Jeroboam's idolatry. And when, I thank God for the prophetic voice. Thank God for people who are unafraid to speak the truth, even in, in difficult times, even directly towards political leaders. Because a lot of the, the stuff that takes place 
doesn't just happen. Corruption's not just in sometimes, even religious corruption is not just in the church house. Many times it's in the White House. Many times it's in the Congress or the Senate or it's in local government. The enemy is always trying to, to conspire and work. And so thank God for that prophetic voice. So they condemned the, they condemned the king and they, they had a prophetic word about that, uh, prophesying even his demise. And then the, the scripture says and, and, and tells us from there that when Jeroboam uh, passed away, that subsequently the next generation followed in the steps of Jeroboam. And for seven generations, you know what you have in the northern kingdom? You have a perverted form of worship. You have people going to a house to worship, but they're not worshiping Yahweh God. They're worshiping a golden calf. They are, the leaders are base and evil. They're not set apart, sanctified, filled with the Holy Spirit, anointed of God. It has a form of godliness, but it's denied the true power of God. They're not hearing the Torah. They're not hearing the Word of God. They're not hearing the Levitical uh, teachings of, of how to live and how to be holy and how to please God and how to walk in righteousness. They're not hearing that. They're hearing what comes out of their own heart. Generation goes by. Generation goes by until we arrive at this particular passage. And if you take the time to study this out, the scriptural narrative is, is that every subsequent king that came forth after Jeroboam followed in the ways of Jeroboam. And that means there was a continual worshiping. And what I, I wrote down a few notes because I, I put it this way. Often before there is a replacement, there is a pollution. Let me say that again. Often before there is a, a, a move to replace the true, there's a pollution or a dilution of the true. A slow deception until at a later date and time, a total annihilation and replacement can take place. Let me tell you what's been happening uh, slowly in America. We have seen a slow dilution right in front of our eyes. We have seen a slowly move this, move that, take away historic truths uh, and build up something else. And the reason why is because there is going to be, and it's already happening, an onslaught to, that begins to target that which is true and totally replace it with that which is false. This is of prophetic significance in the days in which we live today. It's a difficult time. And I'll tell you what, I've come to this house today with a word in my spirit for you. I've got a word for you today. We need familiar truths to help us uh, to endure the unfamiliar times that we're going through right now. We need to have our ear to the prophetic word. We need to have our eyes in the prophetic word. And we need to be able to see because the God, come on, the God that brought some of them out, he'll bring us out if we'll believe, right? The God that always promises hope, promises us hope. If you were to jump way in front of this story, when actually Elijah himself felt so worn down from the weight of facing all of the atrocities of the, uh, of the, of the religious issues that he dealt with, God said to him, Elijah, he said, I've had 7,000, 7,000 men, women full of the Holy Spirit and power. Let me tell you, there will always be a remnant. God will always raise up men and women to be a light in the midst of darkness. Let me tell you what happened here, this biblical narrative. Enter Ahab. Who is Ahab? Ahab comes to us seventh in the descent from Jeroboam. Eighth overall in the kingdom of the northern tribes. Listen to what, here's his, if they were writing his, um, putting this on his headstone, this is what it would say. He's the most infamous of all the rebellious kings of Israel. Listen to what it says. Here's what the Bible says about Ahab. He did evil in the sight of the Lord above all that were before him. 
So he's the eighth in the descent of Jeroboam, or eighth overall, seven in the descent. But God said, when I stack him up against the others, he's the worst of the lot. Everything he did exceeds all the others. And then, notice this, listen very carefully. 31st verse of the 16th chapter, it says, If it wasn't enough that he walked in the ways of Jeroboam, he took to wife Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbel, the priest king of Zidon. And that's what brings us to the narrative today. And let me build that for you for just a little bit. Jezebel was the daughter of the priest and the king. Ethbel was first the priest and he became the king of Zidon. And he was a passionate worshiper of Baal worship. Baal worship was that ancient Canaanite religion, a fertility religion that was filled with sensuality. And I've preached about it many times because we have to see this. You know what? You can tear the statue down. You can tear the idol down, but that spirit still lives. And some of the things that you see in that day, we see in our day. Because did you know what? These people that we think are, you know, these were Israelites. You know what they were doing? They entered into sexual practices with prostitutes in a temple somewhere in hopes to incite Baal to have celestial sex with Ashtoreth, the female deity, that rain might come on their agricultural uh, fields. And that was what was introduced by Jezebel. Jezebel was a fanatic for it. And she, be, you know what? When she came into the kingdom, she came with an agenda. Let me tell you today, there are folks in this, not, they got an agenda today. And the agenda was to not just slowly compromise like Jeroboam did, the true worship of Yahweh. Her agenda was now's the time to annihilate the true worship of, of Yahweh and bring forth what we believe in, which is Baal worship. And it's a small narrative in Scripture, but she is not satisfied with that polluted uh, form of worship. With no temple as in Jerusalem to conflict with, and the people are forbidden by the law of Moses of erecting another, through her provocation, a house of Baal is erected at Samaria and an altar to Baal. And she launches a nationwide campaign of religious persecution against the prophets of Yahweh. And she kills, she has slain every prophet that she can find. And that's why Obadiah, who is a governor in the house of Ahab, he, 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 he tries his best. He's a believer in Yahweh. He finds some of the prophets of God and he hides them in a cave. And he feeds them with bread and water to just keep them alive. You know, church family, sometimes church becomes more than just feel-good church. Sometimes it, you're, you look around and you're in a situation when it's life and death around you. And for a long time, and I've not been somebody, we don't want to replicate these days. We want to resist these days. But church family, we're, looking at, we're living in a dangerous time. There's been a season in the history of America where Christians had protection. And we were, we were a people that was affecting nations, but no longer. Now we are people being persecuted by our faith and for our faith. And we're seeing this. It's one thing for you to watch in the news and see an Islamic terrorist enter into a, a building in, in, in Somalia or somewhere or Kenya. But I'm telling you, we're seeing more and more things happen right here in these United States of America. And it's no longer Sunday school stories. The Sunday school story is not good enough for you and I today. We need a prophetic word. That helps us be able to navigate the difficult times in which we live today. It's not just feel good church. It's not just dance around and feel good in the church any longer. It's God, I need the power of the Holy Spirit in my life. Because I'm going out into a darkened world and I want to be the light of Jesus Christ. I want to have the power of God on my life. And I want to be able to influence the kingdom. And I don't want to live in fear. 
I don't want any of you living in fear. I want you to be a bold and bright and shining light for the glory of God. And I want you to understand the prophetic significance of this passage of Scripture. When Obadiah hid the, the, um, the prophets of the Lord, it was during this time that we see in Scripture God raises up an unlikely leader. Who is that unlikely leader? Is he a priest? Is he a king? No. He's called Elijah the Tishbite. 1 Kings 17 tells us that he's of the inhabitants of Gilead. And he has pillowed his head on the bosom of God in prayer. How many know prayer is where you hear the voice of God? And the Bible tells us that he heard God's voice telling him to confront Ahab. And when he would confront Ahab, he would confront him with this knowledge. And here's what the knowledge was. Because of your sin and the sin of Baal worship in the land that was dedicated to God, God's going to shut off the fountain of life, the, river, the waters of life that flow forth from heaven. Remember what God had told ancient Israel when they came into the land of Deuteronomy 11? God told ancient Israel, he said, it's not a land like the people of Egypt that you came out of. He said, it's a land of hills and valleys, and it's dependent upon the rain of heaven. It was a land that needed the rain of heaven in order to provide for their fields. And so God said, I'm going I'm to come against Baal worship because I'm going to shut it up. And so through the voice of the prophet, God turned the fountain off. One year, two years, three years, no rain. And during that time, what is the response to drought? Famine. And so famine becomes confusion. And so the people are confused and they're scattered. And even Ahab himself is going out looking for any type of green grass to feed his own cattle. And that takes us to the passage of Scripture that we found ourselves in in 1 Kings chapter number 18 because Elijah has heard this word. Are y'all out there today? Elijah's heard this word. Three years later, God said, now's the time. Go meet Ahab. Tell him I'm about to send rain, but we want to meet together on Mount Carmel. So in that passage of Scripture that we read in 1 Kings chapter number 18, the scriptural record is, is that Ahab has gone out with Obadiah looking for green grass just to find something to feed his animals. And Elijah is sent by God to confront Ahab. And I saw something in this passage that I want to share with you what I believe is prophetically alive in our midst today. Because in this passage, beginning in verses 17 and 18, look at those two verses with me real quickly. Look at it real quick. Because how many believe that the scriptures are alive? There's prophetic significance to him. God's speaking to us today. My attention was what happened in the 17th and the 18th verse. And I want you to see that real quickly. And it came to pass when Ahab saw Elijah. Look what Ahab said. And Ahab said unto him, Are you, the, are you Elijah, the one that's troubling Israel? And then look what Elijah said to Ahab. I've not troubled Israel, but you and your father's house, because you have forsaken God. Here is the prophetic significance. There is a common assumption that each possesses. Each person blames the other for the fate and the condition of the nation. The prophetic significance for you and I is this. It's a brief picture of the state of the culture in we live today. There are competing voices in attempting to define morality in our midst. Well, let me go a little bit farther. There are two distinctly different people groups that are looking at the exact same thing and declaring exactly opposite of what the other is saying about the situation. Let me go a little bit farther. I must be way out there in front of you. 
I'm going to share with you what I believe with all of my heart. Who are the Ahabs and Jezebels of our generation? Who are the Ahabs and Jezebel? I believe they are distorted political leaders steeped in a term that I'm not going to be ashamed to use today, liberalism. I believe that with my heart. I believe that the perverted Hollywood personalities and music industries whose moral compass is delusional. Moral compass is it's spinning. It's spinning. It's what their moral compass is. Yet they hope to distort and influence you and I and our children. I believe it's many high-profile athletic performers using their accomplishment on the imaginative field of contest to promote their perversions. I believe it's educational and religious leaders of different religions. And, listen to this very carefully, it is a very corrupted form of Christianity that we see in America today whose mindset for Christian belief is so far from true apostolic teaching that it is morphed from the dilution of Jeroboam into the replacement of Jezebel. I was thinking about this, and we have painted such a delusional picture of Jesus in our generation through the church. How many of you see the picture of Jesus as being painted today? Jesus is just do good, feel good. Jesus is about you selling all your assets and giving to the poor, walking through the airport, buying flowers, passing them out. That's what the picture of Jesus is. Jesus is our sugar daddy, he's what, he, but he's not somebody that speaks about sin and situational sin in our life that brings us to repentance and conviction of sin. That's not the Jesus that the culture wants the church to, to present to them today. They want the one, the aforementioned. But let me tell you, when you look to the very last author of Scripture in the book of Revelation, John saw a Jesus that even used the term Jezebel and he wrote about it in the church the church at Thyatira he said I got a few things against you the church at Thyatira because you have allowed that Jezebel that seductress woman to teach and influence my children to commit fornication and the Jesus that we're talking about that we see and we know is the good shepherd that gave his life for the sheep also challenged the people with strong words. He said, I'll kill her children with death because they're going to know that I am he that liveth and now I died and I'm alive again and I've got the keys to death, hell, and the grave. Let me tell you, Jesus is loving, he's righteous, he's good, he's holy, but he's also moral and just. And let me tell you today, the world standards of morality are being designed by our own inward, uh, uh, our own inward imaginations and not by the truth of Scripture. And we've got to decide amongst ourselves. And that's what this whole issue of Mount Carmel was about. It was about, are you going to follow God? Are you going to follow Baal? And I'll tell you what, there are times that I tiptoe around this. There are times that I thought, God, I don't want to go to the church and sound like I'm a second-level political preacher or something. But you know what? The reality is this, that i got to move far away from that. If God's put this prophetic word in my heart, if God's put this in my spirit to stand in front of you, to cause you to be more aware, there was a deception in the land to people that had known the Lord, that knew truth, were worshiping idols. Because the power of the enemy had caused their minds to believe not. And church family, this is real anymore. This is real. we got to be aware. A day of delusion has dawned in our nation. Separation and distinction. Opposing views far beyond just political views. It's not the day in the 40s or the 50s of Republican versus Democrat. There's something that's morphed in our midst that's far different from the, the things that your grandma and grandpa used to argue about. They might go to bed at night and one was a Republican and one was a Democrat. 
But now we're talking about something so much more sinister, so much darker, so much deeper. And the term liberalism, let me tell you, did not begin in the political community. The term liberalism came to us through the religious community. Out of the days of the Enlightenment, when people felt like they had answers for the questions that they felt like were unanswered in Scripture, and they found those answers in science and in philosophy rather than the Word of God. That's where the term liberalism comes from. So when I use it, I'm not using it exclusively in a political sense. I'm using it in a broader sense. But I am, uh, I'm stirred in my spirit today because I believe that there is a, a, a satanic deception akin to what we see in this passage of Scripture in the days of Elijah. And Elijah issued a God-ordained challenge to Ahab and the followers of Baal. It was a historic showdown on Mount Carmel. 450 prophets of Baal trained in Jezebel's school of idolatry and licentiousness against the lone representative of the true worship of Yahweh. And verse 21 of that passage speaks with prophetic significance because the people were caught in the middle. And I want to say, God forbid, that I allow the influences of those that I talked to you about previously when I said that I believe that these are the Jezebels and the Ahabs of our generation to influence you without hearing a voice of truth. And I wrote it in my notes this way. Both positions cannot be right. Both positions might be wrong, but both cannot be right. And I want to share with you today real quickly, the prophet makes it very clear There's no middle ground. Let me tell you, with the distorted views that are in the world today and in the church today, you either serve God or you serve yourself. You either serve God or you serve the idol in your mind that you've designed in your own religion. The Scripture tells us there's no middle ground. You either serve God with all your heart, all your mind. And here, I hate this. I've told you this before. One of the things that aggravates me the most is that here's the doctrine of love in our, our generation today. God loves you. You said, what, Pastor, God loves you? Is that something you're aggravating? No, that's the, one of the deepest truths in all the Word of God. But it's not the issue of conflict today. It's not about does God love you, it's do you love God. Let me say it one more time. It's like, yes, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him would not perish, but should have everlasting life. But the point is, is that if you love me, Jesus said, then do my commandments. How can you say, how can you say that you love God, but you don't love your brother? How can you say you love God and you not walk in his commandments? That's what's missing in our distorted religion that we have in America today. Because I found out that if I truly love God, if I love God through Christ, I'm no longer my own. I don't belong to me. It's not about my life. It's about his. It's not about my will. It's about his. The Bible says he purchased me by the blood on the cross. He purchased me. And so my whole life, no matter whether I like or whether I dislike, is to bend my will to the will of the fathers because of my love for him. That's what's missing in our culture. The prophet makes it very clear. You either love the Lord or you love Baal. Can't be both. I said it years ago. I'm going to say it again. I believe that a dividing line is happening in America today. I believe that. I do. I believe there's a true dividing line. And it's not states. It's not state rights. It's not Democrat, Republican. It's right and wrong. It's based upon the scriptures. Based upon the truth of God. Can I go ahead and finish this message here today? Let me share with you what dictates and determines morality for us. 
I'm going to give a disclaimer. Here's a new cry. Here's a new cry from, especially within Hollywood. I, I get on edge with Hollywood personalities trying to preach to me morality. I, I, have, I have a problem. I, I can't remember the name of some of these. Uh, I think his name is Liam, whatever. He was in that, you know, like Taken movie years ago, whatever. He's like a karate guy or something. Every movie, I don't watch his movies, but every movie he's in, he's like shooting everybody up all the time. But then he wants to talk to you about gun control. He sold it into the minds of America in violence and become a millionaire off of it, but then he wants to talk to you about it. That hypocrisy, I, I, I'm done with it. I'm done, I, I've moved on past it. Uh, there, there's a thing today with Hollywood elites are trying to, they're, they're, here's what they're trying to define. They're trying, they're, here's a term that they choose to use, morality. I mean, I almost just fall over. And when I, when I read some of these things, that, and, and I just, I like, because here's the word they don't want to mention, sin. They don't want to say, they won't use sin, but they'll use morality. Now, here's what they, they I can remember, uh, and as I read here, they really are going out, they're calling President Trump immoral. I'm not going to defend or accuse President Trump's morality or immorality. But I'm saying the folks that are accusing him, come on. They better look in the mirror a little bit. Because let me tell you, I can remember when that, when that cry of liberalism was this, you cannot legislate morality. That's what used to be said. But it does, it's not said today because there is an attempt to legislate morality. Let me go. Can I share with you this? I just feel like preaching in here. I'm going to just tell you a little bit about this. Did you know that two weeks ago, and I don't believe in stealing anybody's assets or anything like that, but a man stole a rainbow flag. Now, the last I checked, the rainbow flag is not a flag of the United States of America, and it's not a flag of a particular state. He stole a rainbow flag, and he had posted that he had hatred for those that are in, the, in, in homosexuality. Uh, that's, I mean, I, I can't dictate the issues of his heart. I would correct him if he was in front of me today. I would say, brother, God's called us to not hate anybody but to love everybody, right? I would tell, I would tell him that, to have genuine love for him. For, for somebody you might disagree with their lifestyle, whatever. So he burnt that flag. That's all he did. He got 15 years, 15 years in prison. But somebody could come through those doors right now, drag me kicking and screaming off of this stage, beat me up, and they'd spend maybe 30 days in jail. But that particular flag got burnt, and it's a hate crime, and he's going to spend 15 years behind bars because of it. So there's some wacky, I'm telling you, even a message, you know, I talk about political issues, and I do so unashamedly, but I want you to know today that there's coming a day when the very things that I talk about will be identified as hate crime. And it's already on the edge right now. If it wasn't for people fighting for the rights of the church to be able to lift up your voice, then even your own personal convictions, not even what you say, they want to say what's in your heart. Listen, I hate, I want you to say, I'm going to use that term, I hate, I hate racism and it's true racism. And I know of the pain and the trauma, but let me tell you, I can't take hatred out of somebody's heart. I can't. I'll tell you, they, they're going to stand before God because of that one day. But I can't be the one that dictates that. And so you can't take this out of my heart and life as well. And so as I begin to talk about this, let me go a little bit further before I close. In our culture today, listen to this, because I want you to put you into this prophetic significance, and then I close. I'm on the next to the last page of my notes. Here's what's no longer sin in our culture. It's no longer immoral. Adultery. No, oh, my gosh, no, it's not. Right? You can get on a list if you want, right? 
where folks that think the same way as you will, will call you. Just don't tell your spouse. And then some, they don't even care. Tell your spouse. They call that an open relationship in our culture today. Hello? I won't even, I'm so ignorant of some of those things that it's kind of almost humorous when I, when some of the younger generations start correcting some of the things that I say, because I didn't know. I didn't know about swingers. I, I, I didn't know what that meant. And then I was like, what? Are you kidding me? But I, I didn't know, because I've been in the four walls of this church. But let me tell you real quickly, fornication, drug addiction, idolatry, homosexuality, abortion, transgenderism, that's not immoral in our culture today. Let me tell you what is immoral, failure to embrace climate change, failure to legalize marijuana, failure to embrace gender neutrality, failure to own a gu or owning a gun for self-defense, on and on and on, a particular viewpoint is held by some, and everything else is immoral. Let me tell you what it is. It's a demonic spirit. It's the same spirit that was working through the Jezebel of old, and the only thing that's going to stand against it is a prophetic voice. And in the middle, let me tell you, in the middle are the common folks being deceived by the delusion of our culture and our generation. And it's a battle that's got to be fought. And I'll tell you how it's going to be fought. Let me go ahead and bring you to the close of this message. The message, this story concluded with this great moment on Mount Carmel. And here's what Elijah, Elijah gave them the opportunity first to, to be able to call down fire from heaven and prove that Baal was God. And so they spent for almost all day, the prophets of Baal dancing and, re, and trying to pray and invoke him to, to fight, fall on the sacrifice, nothing happened. They started cutting themselves. Elijah started mocking. Nothing happened. And finally, Elijah said, now's my time. Let me tell you what time it is right now. Now it's our time. Come on, we've sat back long enough and we've seen what's taking place and the delusion and deception in our culture today. And now's the time for the church to be who God's called her to be. And Elijah said this. Elijah, the Bible says, he repaired the altar of the Lord. Let me tell you, that's the first steps is repairing the altar of the Lord. The way you view church has got to change. It's not just to come to get your free cookie and your coffee. It's so when you can come through the door of this church, you come to give, you come to sow, you come to worship and you come to pray. You come to pour your own soul out to God. You're going to make God's house a specific place of sacrifice. He repaired the altar, number one. Number two, he prayed a fervent prayer. You know what's missing in so many churches across America today, including ours at times? It's the sound of an intercessor. It's the sound. See, we want to complain about it, pick it. We want to vote it out. It's not going to be voted out. It's not going to be picketed out. But it can be prayed out. Come on, that's the only way you can put a demon on the run. You can't medicate it. You can't legislate it. But you can stand strong in the Spirit of God and lift up your voice and begin to pull demonic strongholds down to the glory of God. And so Elijah prayed, and he said, Oh God, would you reveal yourself as the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob? And would you show these people that you love so much that you're the one true God? We need prayer made just like that. Right here in this church family, your children and your children's children are dependent upon your prayers of intercession. And number three, the fire of God. 
That's an open display of the power of God. We need the power of God in the church, church family. We need it like, unlike never before in the history of America. We can't just be a social community. We've got to have the power of true faith among us. Daryl, you join me on the platform today. I'm going to ask you to stand up with me, and then we're going to pray in this house. You'll come forward today. I know I've gone way past noon. I can't apologize to that for you today. But, you know, church family, I've wrestled some of these things out in my own prayer time. And I said, God, the last thing I want to do is I don't want people coming to church every time thinking that every message has a political overtone or it has something of that nature. But the reality is every interview that a Hollywood personality gives you, every time that a, a sports figure or even a distorted political leader, I'll go out, and I'm going to say this today. It wasn't that long ago. Look at that one passage. Let me give you this example. That one passage. Ahab. This is what were the stimulus in my, me in my heart was for this message. They came together for the first time in three years. The prophet Ahab. And the Ahab said, you're the one that's causing all this mess. And Elijah said, I'm not the one, but you're the one. That's what's happening in America today. The liberal elites, the Hollywood elites especially, are pointing at us church folk people, keeping people in the dark ages of religion and things of that nature. And they're saying, you're the ones to blame. And you know what? I'm pointing the finger back. I'm saying, no, you're the one to blame. And somebody's right and somebody's wrong. And we're going to have to have a strong enough conviction to say, God, let the truth prevail. If they're right, let Baal be God. But if God is God, let him be God. And let's be strong in the Lord and let's trust in the Lord. I, I remember I, I saw this on a, on a news clip. It was a few weeks ago that a, a, a House of Representative leader Elijah Cummings died. Hillary Clinton was speaking at her, um, at, his, at his funeral, saying some words. And Hillary took that moment to make a political overtone. She did. And she, so she made reference to Trump as if he was Ahab and Elijah Cummings was Elijah, the Elijah the prophet. And after I got up off of the floor, for reading how that Jezebel was saying, was calling somebody else. I'm just being honest. I know, but I, I just couldn't. I mean, but that's where we're at. One's pointing one way and the other's pointing back. Both can't be right. Somebody's right. That's why I tell you all the time, you got to know what you believe. You got to be strong enough. These are passions inside me and I want to see. In the middle are people caught. Their hearts, they don't know what to believe. And we've got to be a church full of the power of God. I want to ask you all to join me at the altar. Would you all make this a house of prayer for a few minutes today? Would you just make it a house of prayer? Say, Pastor, some of you may say, I don't agree with everything you preached today. Well, I'm sorry. If you'd have been preaching, I probably wouldn't agree with everything you said. Is that right? Right? I, I can't bend my sermon to satisfy, uh, you know, your own preconceived. I, I can't. I have to preach what I believe God put in my heart. And I have to trust that I'm going to stand before him one day. And if I'm wrong, it'll all be burned up. But I have to share what was in my heart. Would you take a moment to pray just right now and say, God, let truth prevail in our generation, God, in a darkened time, let, in an unfamiliar season, let familiar truths lead us out. God, I pray awaken a revival in our midst. 
Come on, awaken. Show yourself as God. Show the power of God to this generation. Come on, church, I need somebody to pray that. Oh, God, show the power of God. God, let there be healings in our midst. Let there be complete deliverances in our midst. God, in the name of Jesus, Lord, let men and women caught in the vice of darkness, Father God, be brought out in the name of Jesus. Let us not hate, but let us show the truth of the love of God. Let us speak the truth in love. Father, I pray, let us not see people as our enemy. Father, people are our prize. Somebody say that with me today. People are not our enemy. People are our prize. And God, I pray that the the devil and his ideology and his demonic spirits and his influence and his deception, that, Father, is our enemy. But God, people are our prize. And I pray, I'm praying, oh God, in the name of Jesus. I'm praying for the spirit of truth, the power of God. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, God, let there be healings and miracles and signs and wonders. Father, when that fire fell on the altar that day, then the Bible says the people said, the Lord, he is God. When people see the power of God in the church, Father, we're going to pray that it's going to open the eyes of the unbeliever, Father, to the revelation of Jesus Christ. Show us your power. Show it to this generation. Father, we are a generation that does not know the power of God. We read about it. We go on into the archives of Pentecostal history. We read about men and women that have it, but we search for it in our own lives and we don't find it. God, would you bring about life in us and the power of the Holy Spirit, fresh and new in our midst today in the name of Jesus Christ. Church family, I want you to just pray and I want you to believe God. Would you pray and ask God to raise up a standard in our community, in our church. And I pray, so ask God to cause favor to be upon our church family. Let us become a light. Let us have a voice. Let us have an opportunity to speak. Let your own life be such a bright and shining life that you lead people out of darkness. Pray for that, if you would. I pray that today in the name of Jesus. Familiar truths for unfamiliar times. God, that's what we pray in this house today. Give us a prophetic word. Give us prophetic insight in the name of Jesus today. Now, church family, I was asked to pray for someone here who's facing some health issues. And I want to create an opportunity right here in the middle that JoJo prayed that a moment ago. He said this would be a great time and a great moment that somebody is sick among us that they could be healed. So I want to ask you all to clear just a little bit of a space right there. If somebody here today says, Pastor, I need our church family to pray for me then I want you to come and stand right here today. Our church family will stand with you and pray for you today. We'll just stand in uh, and, and we'll anoint you with oil. Who else is coming? I don't know where my little lady is. Where is she coming? Right there. There she is, right there, coming today. Come on, we're going to anoint with oil. We're going to pray and we're going to lay hands on people. Come on, sister, right here. We're trusting God. Ramonica, right there. She's right beside you right there. We're going to believe God. Who else here today? Dwayne is here for be anointed with oil. And I'm anointing from oil. I want to ask our church family to start putting hands on people. Come on, laying hands on men and women today in the name of Jesus. The oil. God is healing, Father. I'm going to come back. But we're praying, Father, in the name of Jesus. Anybody else today? Father, we're just praying, God, right here over Ed in Jesus' name. Come on, touch. Believe God. Father, I lay my hand today, God, in the name of Jesus. God, I'm believing. Father God, for we need miracles, and we believe when somebody's body is healed supernaturally, that's the same as when the fire fell on the altar that day, God. It says, the Lord is God. 
It says, the Lord is our healer, God, in the name of Jesus. Father, as a body that was hurting and sick, and, and uh, uh, Father, and affected, God, by sickness, God, and infected by sickness, God, is healed. God, that says that you're God. You're the Jehovah Rapha. You're the Lord who heals us today. You make our body strong and whole, and we believe in God. In the name of Jesus today, God. Father, we need your power. We need signs and wonders, God, to be done in the name of Jesus. We need, Father God, vertebrae to be healed and nerves to be healed and, Father, discs in our back to be healed in Jesus' name. Father, we need your word, Father, to raise up Moriah off that bed, Father, of affliction in Jesus' name. And we send your word all the way to Little Rock, God, to raise her up, Father, in Jesus' name. Lord, I pray, Father God, Father, for all these that we have anointed with oil, and I speak the word of faith over them. God, whether it be seizures that have been causing issues or pneumonia or flu-like symptoms, God, whatever it might be that they've come to the front today, we're going to believe in the power of God in their lives, the supernatural healing power of the name of Jesus Christ. God, I just thank you today, Father, for the opportunity to share this word with my church family today. And I want to speak life over them and blessing and grace and the good things of God. Lord, I pray, stir up a prophetic voice in our midst. Who will pray that with me in closing this message off today? Who will pray for your pastor and your pastors? Who will pray for Pastor Brown and Joe and Jace and Shane and, and Aaron, Chelsea, and others among us, Brent, Father God, other leaders that have carried a prophetic anointing on their life, God, we want to see that, Father, men and women alike got a prophetic unction, an anointing, God. God, you got to strengthen us. you got to strengthen us, God, in the name of Jesus. God, to be strong in the Lord. God, in the power of his might. To be able to say and do the things, God, that you cause us, Father, to say. I pray that, Lord, in the name of Jesus. Lord, we look to your word for prophetic insight. Don't we, church family? We look to the Word of God. And God, if I can bless the people with this today, Lord, the Bible says all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. And God, we've come to a time in our nation when being a Christian who believes in the truth of Scripture results oftentimes in ridicule and being ostracized from certain events and things. And sometimes even physical violence. God, but who are we? God, the, 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 the spiritual men and women of, of every generation have faced challenges like we're facing today. But you brought them and you gave them light and you gave them hope. And we have hope today. God, I pray for the word of God in our own midst that it will be, it'll be sharp. It will be filled with life. It will be strong. In the name of Jesus. And it will convict our hearts. It will convict us. And God that we won't be found guilty. Of speaking about other things. And other people. And not looking at the issues in our own life. God areas of our own life. That truly need to be repented of. Let us follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. Let the altar not just be the place. That we intercede for others to repent. But that we repent ourselves. God, that we do repent and that, God, we don't harbor certain feelings and vices, God, that the enemy wants to, Father God, hide in our 
in our heart and mind who wants us to hide. We, we, we don't want that. We want, to be, we want to be repentant. We want to be cleansed. We want to be whole before you today, God. I love you. And I'm so grateful to have a church family to be able to sow what you put in my heart. And I pray that, Father, they'll walk in the light as he is in the light. Let me say that over you today as I, as I let you out of here. I pray that, they, that you will walk in the light as he is in the light. And the blood of his son, Jesus Christ, cleanses us from all sin. And we stand in that truth today in Jesus' name. And everybody said today, amen and amen and amen. Thank you all so much.